Hello, everybody, and welcome in. This is the uh, first installment of the lunch hour Bible study. And uh, again, in future forward, y'all bring your lunch with you. We're not going to try to keep you in here forever. Uh, it's been a it's been a long time since I've taught in here. Well, no, I guess it was last year, but I used to teach in here all the time. Um, today we'll be in First Timothy chapter two. First Timothy two. 9 through 15 is our focus, and uh, I want to tell you just on the front, um, just a couple of things. Uh, one, the, these verses, as we mentioned last week, are uh, very much pertaining specifically to women, and uh, we'll look at those in depth here in just a moment. At the end of our time, uh, Katie White is going to join me up here. Katie is our Connections Director. She's also a group leader here and uh, leads discipleship uh, here at, um, at Lindsay Lane with some ladies on Sunday evenings. And so uh, she's going to join me. We're going to uh, do a little bit of dialogue because uh, I feel like last week, and here's why I say this, um, it's real easy for me to interpret the emotional uh even physical response of a man when I read scripture about men. So last week when when I read instruction uh, that's given to men about lifting holy hands, like, man, I can get there to conviction quick, right? Um, But but for a woman, uh, I I cannot speak to that. Now, uh, I'm married to a woman, a godly woman, and uh, I'm around godly women a good bit. Uh, but it's it's helpful, I think, for us to all understand from uh, a godly woman's perspective. So uh, we're gonna uh, Katie is gonna join me in just a little bit, and um, just want to uh, thank you guys for for being here and to let you know that when I'm just trying to, let me just this is not my notes. So just speaking on these kinds of uh, not polar they can be polarizing. I don't believe they're polarizing here. But speaking on issues from the scriptures that are sensitive is sensitive to me. Uh, it, it's not in my heart to establish any kind of dominance in here. I don't think it's the heart of any of our lead staff pastors uh, to handle this inappropriately or without care. So uh, there, there's a lot of time and, and focus that goes into this to make sure that we get it right and, and leave here unified. Um, and, and I think about on the front end, how many ladies are in the room and, and how much work is done at this church because of the ladies of Lindsay Lane. And so I'm grateful to God for that. I'm grateful to God, the unity in our church, and uh, pray that it continues forward. And uh, let me pray for us, and we're going to look in First Timothy at those verses and then talk through it. Lord, thank you for the time today. Thank you for your word. And God, I just pray we would be reminded that it's uh, all profitable and inspired by your Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, help us all to receive uh, our responsibility with humility, and uh, God, to uh, teach faithfully. And uh, Lord, we just seek your direction uh, here forward, as we always do. God, we thank you for our church. Thank you for these that are gathered here today. And knowing, Lord, that there are many that could not be here today, we pray for our church and just ask, God, that we'd all stay close and clean to you, and that you would grow us, Lord, for your glory, for the good of man, in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy 2, 9 through 15. Uh, And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. 
Uh, verses 9 and 10, 1 Timothy, we've talked about this recent days. The setting of these verses are the corporate setting. It's the gathering of the church, the public gathering of the church. And Paul is not the fashion police. Um, he's not giving a rigid, law-binding list of dress code. It is not a Ten Commandments of dress code. Rather, he is, he is attempting to lead by directing attention where it should be. Uh, this this teaching of this verse is is for women specifically, but truth is it's for for all people by principle from wearing clothing that should lean itself to the list of extremes. Uh, yesterday we had a cornhole competition at our Fourth of July observance, um, and in that cornhole competition, I noticed that some of the young college guys that were there. They were wearing one thing before it started, and then when the cornhole competition began, they went to their vehicle and changed clothes. They really took it serious. Uh, some of us were like, what's going on? You know, the older ones. And some of the younger guys, like one in particular, he went and put on an American flag. It looked like a onesie. I don't think it was a onesie, but it was like American flag all the way down, shirt and shorts that seemed to bind themselves together. And and I noticed that he changed. And when he changed, like, what was the purpose of that? The purpose of that was to get noticed, right? The purpose of that was to bring attention to himself, not to the competition. It was all in good fun. But that was the reason for him putting those things on. This speaks to our motives as to why we do what we do, why we even wear what we wear. And if you study this, if, if Ephesus was a wealthy city, and some women were dressed to outdo one another for attention and popularity. Uh, some to establish social status there in that particular city. And so there were immature or even counterproductive motives when it came to the gathering of the church. One theologian said that a woman who depends on only on externals will soon run out of ammunition. So... Paul focuses on the inner person. He focuses where the Spirit of God works on the inside to produce good works to glorify God, who is the main character of every story and not to glorify man. And the scripture, again, in multiple places, Proverbs 31, 30 says, but a, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly pra praised. And then uh, Peter, who at times talked about Paul being difficult to understand, he actually echoed this sentiment in 1 Peter 3, 3. He says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, spirit which is so precious to God. Uh, verse 11 is where we're going to spend most of our time, though, uh, as we move through that. That, that is uh, super important. I, I will say that from a man's perspective... Uh, while I believe and still believe that my wife is beautiful, it, it was not the outward appearance that gripped my heart for her. It was her fear of the Lord. Uh, that, that's really where um, the distance in our relationship began. So in the distance, by distance, I mean the long distance. Um, verse 11, the scripture says, Women should learn quietly and submissively. Everybody loves that verse, right? We can just say amen and go home. Uh, women should learn quietly and submissively. Now, I will say this. There are extremes to this verse. Uh, as I've just grown up in a Christian culture, you, you have some that will, on one extreme, cling to this verse like it's one of the only ones in the Bible. Seriously. I mean, they will grip it so tight 
that it drives more than it should. And, and then you have those that would hold it way too loose. Uh, like this is not anything what he meant at all. Like there should be no submission and this doesn't apply to anything or it's just in that one setting. Well, I think we can be more faithful than that when we study the scripture. So let me just share that as we begin to discuss, uh, we said this last week, when you study a particular verse, there should be a real pressure on your heart as it is on mine to get it right. When I teach, it should be a real pressure on your heart to get it right when you study and interpret it for yourself. And in order to get one particular passage of scripture right, it must take all of scripture into account. So when you look at the, the scripture from a broad perspective, first of all, in the Genesis, in the creation account, women are image bearers of God, same as men. Women are image bearers of God. And not only are they made in the image of God, but they are invited in the same breath of God as men to be fruitful and multiply and to fill and govern the earth. They are there with the invitation to men, uh, same for women, same for men. Women are also, uh, if you look to the New Testament, women who live and believe in Jesus are the children of God. So you have men and women who are image bearers of God. Men and women who live and believe in Jesus are the children of God. Women, just the same as men, are spiritually gifted. They are invited to the Great Commission, the same as men. It is specifically noted in Acts chapter 1 and 2, when the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the church began to testify to Jesus before the crowds. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the church included Mary, the mother of Jesus, and several other women. It says there in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. So, just as a, a straightforward statement, women are not to be seen as objects, and their only expectation should not be compliance. Can I say that one more time? Women are not to be seen as objects, and their only expectation should not be compliance. Women who live and believe in Jesus are sisters in Christ. It'll fix a lot of problems if we see ourselves as family. I mean, it really will. If we see ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, I know I have a sister, love my sister dearly, um, and I know when, when it comes to matters in our family, we don't deal with things um, separate from one another, and, and we don't look as, as one having dominance over the other. Uh, we are there for our family. We, we are in a single purpose, uh, that, and we, we work together, very much work together together. Uh, to, for, for the glory of something that's bigger than ourselves, and for the good of something that's bigger than ourselves. So now with these things in place and established, what we do with verses 11, 14 through 14 and passages like that, where it plainly says, it plainly says for women to learn quietly and submissively, we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with that? Knowing that it's made that plain, but also knowing the context of, of the scripture in broad strokes. If you Google this one verse alone, you really will come away with going, what is Paul's deal and why does he hate women? Right? Like why, why does it read that way? And I would even say that if you are a believer, if you're a believer filled with the Spirit of God, you still are not detached from a, a physical nature. And so even in our, uh, in our motives and the things that we wrestle with, we're likely to question Paul at times. And, and then we will give him great honor at other times because we would underline some verses that we love that he says. And then in others, we're like, uh, no underline for you. 
So what, how do we deal with that internally uh, as a believer? And I would just encourage us all, as we read through passages that are geared towards men and geared towards women, the Scripture says all, it says of itself, all Scripture is inspired by God, useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare His people to do every good work. So what do we do with verses like 11 through 14? Again, women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly, for God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. So Paul's call for silence, let's talk about that to start with. His call for silence is, is actually, if you get into the interpretation of words, and this is really not trying to make the word be anything other than it is, but that word actually is a call for women to be peaceable, to learn peacefully, meaning it's not a gag order, it's about order. It is not a gag order, but it is about order. I, I've read that some women who were new believers were abusing newfound freedom in Christ. Uh, this was a, a culture that would... Uh, glorify women at times and so with their newfound freedom that they had to voice their faith they would do so but they would interrupt at the will at their own will and for their own motives within the gathering of believers so it, it, when you think about it that way there's there's equal footing at the cross amen and, and there is equal value before God as we have just looked at but that doesn't give liberty to anyone male or female to push themselves higher up and to interrupt others for the sake of self-promotion or priority. Any of us in here, if, if, I, if I'm sitting there and one of you are teaching, for one of, us, for one of us to be like, hold on, I got something to say. And if everybody starts doing that, then everybody starts leaving, we get nothing accomplished. So this really applies across the gamut, but specifically this is why he said this to women here in 1 Timothy. Now let me say, this is not the only place, though, that Paul made a statement like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is giving instructions for public worship. And he says in 1434, women should be silent during church meetings. So it's there again. Now, if you read that and say, say there it is mentioned twice, it's got to be just plain as day, right? Well, again, you need to know the context in which Paul is writing. In 1 Corinthians, he silences women, and I mean silences women. He does that after he silences two other groups. First, he limits the number of those who speak in tongues to no more than three. So if you had more than three, you're not getting a seat at the table to talk because it gets out of order after that. They, they could not speak at all at the same time, and it could not be more than three of them to speak. And if you don't have an interpreter to, to interpret what you're saying, you cannot speak at all. So for the order, he is silencing those in the church. Secondly, he limits the number of those who prophesied. And actually silence those who would want to be long-winded. That's the truth. For those that would want to continue to prophesy and never give anybody else a chance to stand and prophesy, he would cut them off. And when someone had a more up-to-date revelation, the one that was talking was supposed to be spiritual enough to defer to that one who wanted to prophesy next. And not just even wanted to, but had a revelation from the Lord. The first would sit down. The second, with a more up-to-date revelation, would stand and deliver. Now, you're probably, if you're like me, I'm asking the question, what does that look like? Because the prophecy then is different than the preaching now. So speaking out 
then was based on a believer speaking as the Spirit of God inspired. Speaking now is based on the complete canon of God's Word and the created order of the church. So yes, it is different now. But before Paul says for women to be silent, he says for those who are speaking in tongues, you have these parameters. For those who are speaking uh, prophecy, you have these parameters. And some of you are not to speak at all. But thirdly, he does say, it's only after those two, Paul says to women, women should be silent during church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. So Paul is not just seeking the compliance of women. And he's not establishing the dominance of men. He is seeking to follow the way of God and establish order. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. And then 14.26, before 40, says, But everything that is done must be done to strengthen all of you. Now, if you remember from the last couple of, of weeks, remember the context of 1 Timothy. Christian churches are being planted. They are just getting started. There are men and women, children that are believing Paul has, has planted some of the churches that are just starting, but he is leaving where Timothy is, and now Timothy has been left to guard the culture of young churches, to, to start and have the responsibility to oversee some of the overseers. He is establishing order. When we started Lindsay Lane East, when, when we left Lindsay Lane East, or we left Lindsay Lane Student Ministry, 20-something of us, and went to Lindsay Lane East, while we were there as a young church, there were often threats to the unity of our body. Now, a lot of those folks over there probably never knew of many of them, and that's because we were handling them. But there were times as the church was just getting started, for whatever reason, there is a spirit of the pursuit of promotion for many people that want to wedge their way into what you've got going on for the sake of their own motives. It happened many times. One of the first times it happened is that we were uh, we left from here with 20 people, 20 some odd people. We go there and we had many leadership team meetings as we were establishing Lindsay Lane East. All of those uh, leadership team meetings that we had involved women, by the way. And we met and we talked and we prayed and we planned and we began to plant a church. While we were there, that leadership team that was 20 then grew to 30, and then it grew to 40. And, and we were able to, at the beginning, to start, and we were able to pray through things, discuss things, who's got responsibility. Well, as it grew, some of those voices began to get louder. Some of those voices who had no idea the history behind what we were doing or the purpose while we were there began to try to gain influence, and it, get, it grew and grew until the time that we were in the sanctuary meeting together and getting absolutely nothing done at all because everybody was talking, and some were trying to get their voice heard more than others, and so we put a stop to it. Seriously. Because if we don't, we get nothing solved. I remember Brother Dusty saying the same thing. He said they met here at Lindsay Lane umpteen years ago, and they talked about a vacuum cleaner for an hour. Seriously. And he's like, we've got to do something different. And, and so there, there's opportunities there for, for, again, loud voices and the motive with the pursuit of promotion to, to begin to stifle 
progress in the church. That was just one of the things that I remember. Secondly, I remember a guy sent me an email, and this was a period over three or four weeks. The first email was like, hey man, I love what you guys are doing. This is my name, and I have the gift of preaching and teaching. Okay, great. Innocent enough. Second email, he continues, never met the guy. Second email says again, I, I really would like to come and hear what y'all have got going on. Are there any opportunities for me? Okay, I respond. Third email and fourth email then go on to say him being so forward as, I would like to come and preach for you on Sunday nights. I would like to take your Sunday night services and preach for you there. And, and I know that I have the gift and I know it will be beneficial to your congregation. It's the pursuit of promotion. Can I tell you that there is a gentleman at Lindsay Lane East who is still there now that is a former pastor that told me in just a conversation in passing, he said, I was preaching at a church over in a, a certain destination. He said, our church was going great. He said, until I let this one guy come in and start teaching on Sunday nights, the same guy that emailed me, that guy went there and burn it down. That's the truth. It's the pursuit of promotion. Now, I'm giving you examples of men, of men who need to be quiet. You understand what I'm saying? For the sake of order, the sake of order, not authority, but order. Thirdly, let me give you another example. This was a man and woman combined. We had a couple visit Lindsay Lane East that walked into the foyer, and they were not there to visit. She was there to promote her husband to be the next preacher at our church. That's the truth. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Or a preacher at our church, at least. I'm standing there talking to him. I'm like, well, that's kind of what I do. What, what's... <laughs> so she came in and she said, I just want to tell y'all, this man right here is called to preach. He is the best preacher I think I've ever heard. These other guys over here do this, but he does this. We're visiting churches. He needs... This is all happening in our small gathering space at Lindsay Lane East. And that lasted one Sunday. And the reason why is because they didn't get what they wanted out of that venue, so they moved on. The, it, it happens that the reason I say that is because when churches are just starting, when they are just getting off the ground, if there is not established order, there are those men, women, doesn't matter, that are seeking the pursuit of promotion so that their name is lifted high instead of the name of Jesus. And, and so Paul's teaching to Timothy is, is you, you've got to have men, not with just any kind of hands lifted up in prayer, but they've got to be qualified hands. They've got to be holy hands lifted up. And you, you have to have women there that understand the call to listen. And, and submission as it relates to the order of authority of the office of elder that we'll talk about later. But this is all for the sake of order and to war against the selfish pursuit of promotion that many... I would say that we all deal with. We all deal with the selfish pursuit of promotion that needs to be restrained by the Spirit of God and put inside of an organization that glorifies Him and not people. Now, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, again, speaking to public worship, he says this, There is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is is God. You can see the established order. And then he, again, those are scriptures that we can't just throw out. There's established order in those. And then he begins to teach how one can be found to dishonor the other. A man dishonors Jesus when he wears a head covering. 
Obviously, we don't have to worry about Jesus not honoring the Father because he always did and always does. But when a man wears a head covering in this context, he dishonors Jesus. Roman men covered their heads when they worshipped false gods. So Christian men, for them to do so would be a disgrace to their spiritual authority. A woman dishonors man or spiritual leader when not wearing a head covering. Again, you've got to study deeply into this. Paul is trying to establish the order of the church. A woman should wear a covering on her head to show that she is under authority. Now he goes on to say at the end, this is a custom that they have. And it also is relative to spiritual leadership in the church. This does, let me say this clearly. This does not mean that every man is in a position of leadership over every woman in the church. You hear that? So ladies, if some random guy stands up in the sanctuary and says, y'all need to go over there, just look at him and be like, "Uh uh-uh. Like, I don't even know who you are, right? I mean, like, you can just imagine him trying to tell some of the ladies I know, like, how, how that's going to think that's going to work. But again, this, this has a reference to one who is in authority. Now, what you cannot miss from 1 Corinthians 11 is that while Paul is teaching women be silent in a couple of places, in 14 of 1 Corinthians, and then again in second chapter of 1 Timothy, in 1 Corinthians 11... He is speaking to both men and women who are said to have been praying and prophesying in public. Right? So, as plain as I can make it, the the scripture that says for women to be silent, and then 1 Corinthians 11 where he speaks for men and women that are both publicly praying and prophesying, either the Bible is contradicting itself or they're making distinctions within the context. Again, Both men and women were said to be praying and prophesying in public worship settings. So, listen to this. It's not about if women can, it's about how they should. That that is what the scripture is teaching. Women are spiritually gifted the same as men for the glory of God and the good of man. But our gifts, all of our gifts, are to be exercised in an orderly fashion. When I preach for revival, I'll just say it this way. Any revival preaching that I've done, I cannot preach with exercised authority over the church that has invited me in. I'm just there to preach the scripture. I'm not there to pronounce a decision that should be made for that church. I am not their overseer. An evangelist goes in to preach the gospel. A guest preacher comes in to share something that's on our heart. But I'm not going to skip on down to the Clements Baptist and bust through the doors and be like, Hey guys, this is Andy John from Lindsay Lane. Y'all need to shut up and listen to me because I know what's supposed to happen. Again, I'd I'd be thrown out. Right? I mean, this is, this, this again, that would be from a position of authority that I, I don't have. So, in other words, if, if women pray or prophesy apart from elder pastor authority in the church, they do so out of order and from their own motives. That's the interpretation. Now, that's from a complementarian view. But this is something I think that, that needs to be clarified. To... When we, when we see those, we, we think that women will take this authority and steal it from men for their own motives. Or if they want to just have something, they have to get it documented by the lead staff pastors and signed off on forms and turned in and we meet about it for 15 days and then we give her. It's really about trusted relationship. That's really what it's about. If there's a trusted relationship between men and women leadership in a church, if there's a body of overseers, 
the, the, the men there trust the women to do something for the glory of God and the good of man, and we roll on. That, that really is what it's about. I, I think we also must keep this in mind. Submission and oppression are not the same thing. Take, take that note down. Submission and oppression are not the same thing. And an office in Scripture means order and authority. Authority. It does not mean value and ability. Now, if you believe, I would, I would suggest this, that if an office in Scripture, meaning order and authority, if, if it's given more order and authority, it should be, that's given by man, not by God. So there, there is equal value, equal ability. The Scripture just has a distinction in office. For me, when I consider my own obedience as a man with the spiritual authority of Jesus over me, I am best when I am submissive. I am best when I am submissive. And, and, but that also takes into account, as I even put that note down, that also takes into account that my heavenly Father, my Lord Jesus, is perfectly perfect all the time, which then gives me the humble and weighty responsibility to be a faithful servant of God for those who would serve under me, if that makes sense. Scripture goes on to say, I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Verse 12, let them listen quietly. Verse 13 says, and y'all, these are sort of hard verses. Verses 13 and 14 and 15, they're really interesting to study though. Verse 13 says, for God made Adam first and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan the woman was deceived, and sin was the result. Now, what, what Paul does, and he does this, and, and I believe this. I've read this, and I believe this. He draws on created order so that the folks know in 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians, this is not just about a contextual thing. He's looking back at created order and drawing from created order, even the violated order of creation. Paul once again biblically guards the culture of growing ministries at the early days of Christianity to establish the offices of authority. In the teaching of ministry of women, because again, he, he, what, he, what does he say there? I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Think again, not just men in general, but not let women have authority over the office of overseer. In the teaching, of, in the teaching ministry of women, and there is teaching ministry of women in the scripture, by the way. Y'all see that? And hopefully, if you read in the scripture, you will see the teaching ministry of women. The teaching here is it's not to be lorded over men. Titus 2, 3 through 4 shows us that older women teach younger women, but it doesn't stop there. Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple, taught Apollos. Apollos, the Bible says, is an eloquent speaker who knows the scriptures well, one who taught about Jesus. A married couple there who's, and I've learned this, the first person mentioned there when teaching is Priscilla. All right, And then, even though it's not from a platform, the Bible shows us the mature woman teaching a grown, growing man of God the way of God. 2 Timothy 1.5, in truth, the scripture shows that Timothy himself, and we covered this, Timothy himself was given a godly foundation from who? His daddy and his granddaddy? No, his mama and grandmama. So this is not a message that prevents women from teaching at all. Or teaching men in some cases. This is a message that leans more towards the established order of qualified men in the office of pastor and overseer. Now, this is, 
this is a when it when it comes to uh, women leading and women leadership in the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, and a lot of folks here I think don't even know what convention we're a part of. A lot of people don't know what our associations are, but this is all all very much a a hot topic now. If you've you've studied that uh, and important, um, I do think that I should offer this for for where we stand a, as a church and and to explain why, because um, I'm I'm. I'm challenged by our convention now to bring clarity for the sake of the godly women in leadership that we have here, not despite them or to discourage them. Um, for the sake of unity and clarity, our church is complementarian. And, and so you, you should know there are different camps when it, when it comes to this, right? And, and we've spoken about this recently in Lee's staff. We can still work with those camps, I believe. And, and, and unity, this is very important. Unity does not require uniformity. Amen? It doesn't require that we all do the very same thing. As I mentioned this before, when we got missionaries, former missionaries in the room, and our missions pastor. But when you get on the mission field, the names on the churches don't really matter as much as they do here. You are looking for fellow believers. Now, doctrine will be important as you grow and lead together. But you can work together with a lot of people who disagree with you, but who agree on very tight-fisted things. Now, as our associations get closer together, Yes, we have to determine doctrinal lines. And close associations need to do that. But again, kingdom of God works. A lot can be done together, even when you disagree. But complementarian is that we believe man and woman are created equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in worth. And upon salvation, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet there are distinctions in that both we have been given specific roles by God and for the created order of the church. Specifically, we believe that the office of elder, pastor, overseer, lead staff pastors are for qualified men as it lays out in Scripture. Qualified men as it lays out in the Scripture. And what that does not do is stifle women in their gifting. And what we have to work to make sure that that doesn't do is stifle women in their gifting. And also, it doesn't keep women, women from leading here. Uh, we have women that are on our personnel finance committee. That is the only committee that we have here. Uh, look at a, take a snapshot of our staff. Our staff is heavily influenced, and I use the word influenced, by godly women who lead, that when we make decisions, we take into account what, what is uh, their thought and their opinion and their recommendation those things are, are taken into account. And, and the lead staff pastors here are not the only ones that make decisions that affect the church here. It, it does seem to me when I read the scripture, just to be quite honest, I don't, I don't adopt this view just because I'm here in this position. It, it does seem to me that the New Testament permits, uh, does not permit women to be overseers of the churches. Overseers of the churches. Uh, but that said, the scripture says we're not independent of one another. But there are distinctions of function. Again, when you're looking at complementarian and egalitarian, that's broad strokes, and this is where we land. So in all of this, that our, our conversation that we've discussed and, and, and has been divisive in our convention, th this has led me, to be quite honest, as an overseer, to work to give clarity to what our women are doing and, and what they continue to do under the authority of Scripture rather than it being a source of discouragement. That is what, if I'm just being honest, for any lady to come away discouraged from recent um, 
conclusions at our convention is deflating for me. And personally, because we have a lot of gifted women who serve our church so well, but also, if I'm just being personal here, I've got a daughter. And my daughter's a believer. And if God calls my daughter to ministry, I want her to know what that means for her. And I don't want her to read a headline that says it means nothing for her. Amen? So this is important that we not only study it, but we teach it as a church and make sure that our church understands where we are, what we hold to as an association, but also how, how we minister. And I, I think that if we don't do that well and continually, then we'll find ourselves missing ministry for the sake of, of conversation or for the sake of, of not talking about things that are important. I'll just tell you, like even now, and I always have, when I read passages like this, and we have one left, but I'm going to bring Katie up here in just a second. Like, when, if, if we don't get these right, we'll be doing ourselves and our people a disservice. And quite honestly, I find these passages to be supremely important as it relates to the future of the church. That if we will get these things squared away between like-minded believers, we won't have to worry about discussions and divisions so we can reach people for the glory of God and the good man. Amen? Katie, come on up. This Y'all know Katie. Most of y'all know Katie. This is, uh, this is Katie. Katie is, so Katie and I have been doing ministry together for a long time. Uh, when we were in the student ministry, uh, how old are we? 2011, and I'm pretty sure Katie was a part of that decision-making body that brought me to this uh, leadership position. Um, and and anyway, we, we have been doing ministry, student ministry together for a, for a long time. And I remember this specifically. Um, we were sitting in an office one day, Brother Sonny Schofield and myself, Katie, and I have similar backgrounds in that Katie was an uh, education major, a uh, teacher, and uh, Katie was was... Uh, wrestling's probably not the right word, but she was going through the call of, of exploring a call to ministry. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for a woman? All of those things. And Alan and I are sitting in uh, Brother Sonny's office, and we're, we're talking about bringing Katie on as an assistant to uh, student ministry. And I remember saying specifically, and, and this does not make light of anybody else's gifting, but it said, if we're bringing Katie on just for an administrative purpose, it doesn't fulfill the gifting God has given her. Now, that doesn't downplay any administrative gifting. Lord knows we are praying right now for an executive pastor. Please pray with us. Amen? Please, please pray along with us. But what I knew was is that her, where her gifting is, it, while we all have administrative responsibilities, her gifting is very much with a microphone in her hand and a Bible before her to teach and so, again, spiritual gifts are not limited to, to men alone. And, and I remember saying to Brother Sonny then, man, we've, we've got to make sure that we have a way for her to minister effectively while we're here. So and she's been, now you've been on staff for 11 years, 11 years right? 11 years. So I, I've got, I just have some questions. Katie and I have talked uh, a good bit in recent weeks. And, um, I mean, we've talked a good bit a long time. But I, I've got some, uh, some questions because I feel like I have a limited understanding, truly, uh, when, when I study these verses, while I think that I'm equipped by the Lord and capable to interpret and teach them effectively, I do think it's just wise to, to seek that perspective from a, a woman, and not only a woman, uh, but a, a godly woman who is gifted in preaching and teaching to, to talk about these things. So first question is this, 
what is, after you've heard me talk for like 40 minutes, I don't even know what time it is. Yeah. After you've heard me talk and teach on these verses that are specifically targeting women, even though principally for all of us, what's just been there on your heart for, for you to just, that, that question is very broad, but like, what are you sitting there thinking, yes, I want to say this though, right? What is, what is that? really loud so there we is. go back there um and I think you hit on a lot of it just that men and women we are both made in the image of God uh we have the same Holy Spirit uh we have the gifts of the Spirit he desires to use you in ministry um and and yes just your value and 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 for me reading this passage we're talking a lot about women and it's you know written by Paul to Timothy who is pastoring the church at Ephesus and we're talking about women so i want to learn about the women in Ephesus and so that's something that like i enjoyed studying was if we're talking so much about women and he's talking to Timothy who's in Ephesus what were the women in Ephesus like and and so studying that context, Britt and I, we both enjoy this. We spent hours coming home from a vacation just diving into what were women like back then and the big false teaching that was dominating that area at that time was very female-focused with female empowerment. Their deity, false god of uh, Ephesus, her name was Artemis or Artemis, um, and she is the virgin goddess. She's powerful. She was called the slaughterer. Um, she was a force to be reckoned with. And a lot of the women in that area that were becoming new converts were being um, still pulling some of their old backgrounds, some of their old beliefs into becoming new believers. And they needed some clarity. And that's what Paul is doing, telling Timothy to offer clarity. Um, but that term silence, and y'all know me, like I have, a chi- I have a child that his voice is very different. I don't, my child doesn't have the specific voice like everybody else. And then I have a voice that some would say for a woman is too loud and dumb. And and God made me this way. And God forbid I ever look at God and say, if only you had made me a man. If only you had made me a man, then I could actually serve you the way that I'm supposed to serve you. That would be like me looking at God and saying, if only you had made Parker different, then he could worship you in the way that he's supposed to worship you. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. He gave me my gifting. He gave my child the type of voice he's supposed to have. That term silence, if you go back and look at the Greek word, the Greek word is eshwan, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it means peace peacefully, tranquility, stillness, humility. It's not so much about volume. It's about the character. It's about coming and and humble your learning. These women need to learn because they're bringing in all of these false teachings from Artemis. They're bringing in, um, you know, a false gospel that's dangerous to the unity of the body. And, and, And he's telling them to learn submissively. But we forget about the word learn. Like, how awesome is it that he's telling these women to learn, to be learners? It's not just about being silent. He says, learn peacefully, learn with humility. He's, he's saying that these women, they still, they still have a place. Um, but what they were wanting, because Artemis, again, a force to be reckoned with, they were wanting to overpower men. They were wanting to overpower men, domineer men. Um, and that goes back to Ephesus. They believe they were founded by Amazonian women. 
I mean, Amazonian women, and they've got Artemis, who, um, again, they, they were bringing in their false, their culture. We were talking about that. They were yeah. bringing in their culture, um, and it was, it was messing up the teaching. And so he's talking to these women, saying, learn peacefully, humbly. And y'all, that verse, Eshwan, in verse 11, y'all see what I'm talking about? Some translations say silent. Some say uh, quietly. Y'all, it is the same Greek adjective from verse 2. And if you go, guys go back to verse 2, you'll see he's talking about kings and men and those in authority are also to learn in that way, to learn humbly, peacefully, quietly. And, and I think you're, you are very humble with how you're teaching this because there's a lot of different beliefs on, on, he said it can be polarizing. I think we teach this material humbly and say there's a lot of smart people that have a lot of different beliefs on women and what women should be able to do in the church and shouldn't be able to do in the church. And we come to it humbly with this stance that Paul's talking about. Yeah, that we're all learners. We're all learning. I mentioned this last week. We talked about this. One of the commentaries that, that I read one of is J. Vernon McGee. Now, J. Vernon McGee, old school, still still teaches on the radio some, I think. Got a great voice. Anyway, um, one of the things I read from his commentary when he was teaching on this, at the end he said, now if I'm wrong, y'all pray for me. Yeah. And that's really what he said. I mean, because when you get into, churches have to make a decision on these things. We don't have the luxury of just being like, ah, just whatever we think. So so we need to doctrinally decide and, and lovingly lead. Um, but I, I, as we said last week, we also don't take up the position that we are right about everything, and y'all need to get in line, you know. So, um, and and we also like this week. I'll say this too. Uh, I, I have never been um, intimidated. I'll just say this for the guys in the room: like it doesn't intimidate me to learn from a woman. Um, pretty sure most of us grew up learning from women, uh, as most school teachers have taught us a lot of things. Uh, it doesn't intimidate me for that, and uh, it doesn't give up my office or anything like that. I, I just, uh, I, when Katie, Katie sent me her notes, we were looking at some things, and uh, the, the part that she read about the, the culture and the false gods, not just the false teaching, I mean, it left me going, okay, what are your commentaries, and I need those. That's good, right? I mean, like, we learn from each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So the second question I've got, though, is uh, I remember Katie saying in student ministry, do you remember this? Oh, I don't know. Modest is hottest. Oh, no, I didn't Get, say that. That's gross. Make Please a t-shirt. I did not say that. Brit, it's super cringy. Make a That's t-shirt for Katie. Modest is hottest. I remember that. I just wanted to throw that out. I don't know that it really has anything to do with this. But this question, um, what is your reaction emotionally, spiritually, as a woman to a very direct passage of Scripture given towards women on modesty and worship. Sure, and I think in our culture, when we hear the term modesty, we tend to think about covering our bodies. But also culturally, you talked about these women, these very powerful women have a lot of money. They have a lot of money. So modesty can also have to do with flaunting your wealth and flaunting your power. It's not just flaunting your, your body, but it's flaunting, um, you know, influence and wealth. And again, these are women that are wanting to domineer men. Um, and so again, it's the, the theme of it, humility, humility and, and how we dress humility and how we teach humility and how we treat others. Um, yes. So modesty, I, I don't have a problem with that one because because I also feel like that also, that, that's not just for women. Um, you know, it says modest, we, we all need to be humble. We, you know, we all need to be humble. And so sure. I don't, that one doesn't bother me as much. We're all to be, think about Jesus. I mean, we can read in Matthew where it says, no, 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 that's in Isaiah. In Isaiah where uh, 
Jesus had no, no outward, uh, you know, appearance that were to draw you into him. Um, his his uh, character is what drew people to, to Jesus. And this is, a, this is a, a man. Same type of thing for women. We want that to be yeah. said about ourselves. We want that to be said about our husbands, that what draws you. And like what you said about Brittany, what draws you in is the internal humble character um, of Christ. Right. And so, yeah. That the, I mean, it does get it to our outward presentation. Um, there's a guy here that was, uh, it's funny how when you see people, what they wear, you, you can make assumptions sometimes of what's in their heart. And, and I think maybe Paul is just trying to take away from any of those assumptions. Yeah. Just wear clothes and go to church, yeah. you know? Um, and, and a guy was here a couple of weeks ago and uh, he had on a shirt and tie. And I was like, okay, he's not from here. I mean, really, like I, I thought to myself, first time visitor, and he was, because I met his family, uh, and he's not from here, which he's not, um, but I also thought probably conservative background, like the are, are the things that we wear, uh, it can really, I, I, we've mentioned this before too, like there, there are pastors, right, in different denominations that wear the black suit and the white habit, is it called a habit? It's apparently not, okay, what is that called? Collar? Vestments, collars, should have done my homework on that one instead of off the cuff. Uh, but, but why do they do They do that so you don't look at him and be like, why does he wear that? Like it takes away the, the uh, depiction of something that's out of bounds or, I mean, like I remember I got my hair cut twice last year and people were like, what are you doing? Are you okay? I mean, really, you, you get those things. So, so it takes away uh, from really what should be the highest, which is the glory of God. So, all right, third and final, Katie, when you read, and I, I love your, your honesty because you're like, that one doesn't bother me. I know what you mean when you look at the scripture and you're like, that one doesn't bother me. Well, because I feel like that applies to all of us. We are to be drawing attention to Christ, to Christ within us, not ourselves. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, when you look at 11 and 12, yes. and, and the emphasis is given towards listening, I want to make sure I ask this correctly. As a woman who's gifted to speak and gifted to lead, what do you do with passages like this? And, and the, the question is, does it challenge the way that you feel, or are you now comfortable with passages like this because of what you've studied and believe, yeah. or both? Sure. It's a progress. It's a process um, that has progressed over time. I think I'm getting to the place where I'm a little bit more comfortable. Um, there are some people that I follow on social media just because I know that they make me better because they post things about how a woman, a woman, our primary role is to have children. Um, I had two before Parker that didn't make it. And then my son is uh, a little different. And so I am not a woman that can pop out um, tons and tons of kids. And so if that is my primary role as a woman, then I'm failing miserably at it. So I follow people like that on social media to keep me sharp and keep me humble and keep me prayed up um, that they tell me that I am to be in the home and to be silent and to be having children. And, um, and then I go to my husband and cry and, and you know, mm. we, we, we study scripture together. We're a team. And um, so, yes, the, the, the term for authority, I think we've been studying that together as a family. And so you're talking about verse 11 and 12, specifically verse 12, that term for authority in verse 12, um, 
authentio is a very uh, seldom used word in scripture. Um, Really, this one time is where we see that specific Greek term. Paul could have used a lot of other terms to talk about authority. Um, The most common one in the New Testament, um, and again, I hope I'm pronouncing these Greek words correctly, is um, exousia. That term he didn't use. He used a very specific type of authority. And from our studying, what we're studying together, what Britt and I are studying together, that is a a term that means to thrust oneself upon someone in a negative meaning, even maybe in a sexual license, domineering. And again, going back to that context of how women were treating men, they were wanting to domineer, thrust their influence, their power over these men. And Paul is calling a stop to it. Um, So we we as a family, we we study we study the Greek. We don't we we want to know the context of you know who Paul's talking to, and it's a process. And um, we uh, we're getting there. So well, yeah. I think the key word too is, is humility. Humility. Um, I, I'll just say this when I when I think about that in the scripture, and Paul is calling out these that are trying to thrust themselves yeah. into a position of influence. Those are the ones that leaders don't listen to. I mean, really, that, that, those are the ones where they kind of just throw that opinion out because there there are those that lead to themselves, and then there are those that lead towards the organization. I know uh, that, that as Katie stands here too, and we have a, a number of men and women that lead here. Uh, we have a we have an issue of of something that we need to discuss and bring down if we have people that are leading to themselves. But but if we know we have disagreements between people that love this church. We we're, we can work it out. We, we're okay. Um, and I'll tell you this: like I know we we are unified here. And there's a lot of unity here in in our doctrine. There's a lot of unity here in our leadership. Um, but I don't know that I agree with everybody, anybody about 100 percent of anything. Uh, I'm married, for goodness sakes, right? I mean, like, yeah. for any of you that are married, you know what that's that's like um, to to love one another and be in the same house yeah. moving forward. But, but not agree 100% on every single thing. Now, but the foundational things, we, we are absolutely agreed on. So. And, and can I say one more thing about sure. having children? Just that last verse, you know, where you talked about being saved through childbearing. Uh, we talked about that one. That one, again, if you go back to context and you know about Artemis, that, that female uh, false god that a lot of those women are still bringing in her practices, she, um, legend says, you know, again, it's all a false god. It's all, you know. It, it, it's all not 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 real but the the legend was that she helped deliver her brother she was a twin she came first um and she helped to deliver her brother so she was a midwifery goddess and so people that believed that faith believed that they would be saved through childbearing again that was the number one way that women died back then was through having children and they believed that if they get put their faith in artemis that they would be saved through childbearing because she's the midwifery goddess who helped deliver her brother and Paul what he's doing is humbling arrogant women right saying first even Eve was deceived he goes back and talks about not not just Eve we can come up with a lot of passages also where Paul talks about Adam was deceived as well but he's letting these arrogant women know that even Eve was deceived she also taught a false gospel to her husband like you all are as well um and saying he's trying to comfort them saying you'll be saved through childbearing and we go think about it we're all saved through the most important 
childbearing event through Christ. We are saved through childbearing, and that is through the birth of our Savior. And that gave them comfort because, again, that's how women were, were dying. Exactly right. And studying that is super cool, too, because... It's not, I need to have uh, a child to be saved. No, yes. There are a lot of women that can. I mean, really, like, that's why you have to read to read and why you have to read to study. Um, again, drawing on the creation story there, um, Eve was deceived. And, and what, is, what is Paul trying to protect Timothy from? False teaching. Yeah. She was deceived in the garden. I would even say from, from my own perspective that uh, she was deceived and, and Adam uh, followed her lead in that. As a man, that's the way that I look at that verse. That uh, That's why he draws upon that out of order. And so, uh, again, super cool to study that. Katie, thank you so much. It's 1231 on the dot. Sorry. Uh, I know if you, some of you probably have to get back to work. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. We'll hang around if you'd like for us to. But, again, next week, same time in here, 1130. Uh, thank you guys for being here. You don't want to miss uh, Sunday again. I'll be on vacation Sunday. Brother Dusty's preaching on Sunday. And so uh, he's actually baptizing on Sunday as well. So we've got another baptism coming up. And uh, thank you all for being here. Again, let me pray for us. We'll be dismissed. Lord. Thank you uh, for the unity that's in your word, the unity in your church. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would not be afraid of these discussions, uh, but that we would take them seriously. Uh, Lord, we've studied to show ourselves approved and uh, give value to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would keep our church humble and unified uh, to work for your glory, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.